Hello and a very warm welcome to a very special episode of the IMI Talking Leadership Podcast. This year, leaders have been asked time and again to rise to the challenge of change. Amid the uncertainty, this podcast has welcomed a host of world-class global thought leaders, empowering leaders with valuable and actionable insights along the way. In this edition of the podcast, we'll look back at the main themes we covered in 2021, from inclusion to digital transformation to sustainability and so much more, and ask ourselves the question, what were the main leadership lessons to come out of this year? Building resilience at a personal team and organizational level was a huge point of focus for leaders this year. As we look forward, having a resilient mindset will be crucial for leaders and their organizations to strategically navigate the tests to come. At this year's National Management Conference, Global Thought Leader Whitney Johnson spoke to leaders about a blueprint for creating resilient and thriving teams. The road to becoming more resilient, of course, can involve reinvention. As Whitney explains, sometimes it comes down to taking the right kinds of risks. There are times when competitive risk absolutely makes sense. For example, you're on a track inside of a company, inside of an organization, the path is clear. You're just going to keep doing what you're doing. You sort of take on that competitive risk and you know, full speed ahead. Then there's market risk and market risk is a different kind of risk. And this is what I really think about when I think about disruption and disruptive innovation. And this is where you don't know if there is an opportunity, but if there is an opportunity, there's no competition. And this is where that data point comes from. The innovator's dilemma is that when you're willing to take on market risk, your odds of success are six times higher and your revenue opportunity 20 times greater. And when you want to take on market risk is when you're trying to move forward in some way, um, trying to uh, develop a new product. You're trying to um, create a new um, niche in your career. You're trying to get a foothold in a market where you don't have a foothold. You want to look for opportunities to take on market risk. You want to look for ways to play where no one else is playing so you can increase your odds of success. And so at its simplest, if you're assessing a situation and you think, okay, I can compete in this situation and I can win, then take on competitive risk. But if you're going into a situation and you can't compete and win, then you've got to find a way to take on market risk, to play where no one else is playing so you can get your toehold and then eventually be in a place where you're going to be competitive. Even as leaders have focused on powering through this period of uncertainty, however, this year has been challenging as leaders and their teams continued to adjust to a whole new way of working. With a recent survey revealing that over 50% of Irish workers are experiencing burnout, well-being at work has come under the microscope and figures to be a point of emphasis for leaders in 2022 and beyond. Evelyn Johnston, a speaker and coach in the area of resilience, shared a story to illustrate the type of pressure leaders have been under. A fairly senior executive that I was coaching two weeks ago, she described the situation where it's back-to-back meetings, there's no let-up, her commute has turned into two extra hours in work, which is in her bedroom at home, and she probably spent 15 minutes introducing the whole concept of how stressed she was. And my first question was, who's asking you to do those hours? And literally there was 30 seconds of silence and she went, nobody. And my next question was, is there an expectation within the organization? No. And my third question was, would anybody notice 
if you weren't working the 12 hours every single day. And she went, no. And when we started looking at the cause of the stress, it was actually her perception and her perceived perception of what other people expected of her. So a lot of the stress that we experience in the workplace and in our own home life is actually our own thinking around what we should and should not be doing. Leadership for sustainability has been a key focus for IMI's thought leadership this year. As global realities collide with business imperatives, leaders are reshaping strategies around sustainability with a view to preparing their businesses for the future. For now, the focus has shifted to the role leaders and their businesses will play in this change process. This year, Marga Hoek, a leading expert on sustainable business and capital, held a masterclass on a new vision for sustainability. She pinpointed some specific traits that leaders will require to make sustainable business the rule rather than the exception. Well, it's very important that they are open-minded uh, and able to acknowledge that there's actually things they don't know. Uh, and that might sound like an easy thing and an open door, but it's actually quite important that they are able and willing to do so. It is important that they are able and willing to collaborate uh, in a broader ecosystem than just their own company and that they set the example for others in that sense. It's very important that they're consistent. I mean, it's a tough journey. It's not easy at all. And you have to be uh, persevering throughout all the hurdles. So they have to be able to demonstrate that. And they have to be trustworthy. That's the most important thing. People need to be able to trust such a leader and acknowledge that things are different, to celebrate successes and enable people to learn and also fail uh, throughout the journey. Because, you know, without failure, we don't achieve anything. This year, one of the primary themes as part of our thought leadership at IMI was inclusion, but from a slightly different angle. Our analysis focused on the return on inclusion, how leaders and their businesses can create inclusive cultures to yield better financial results and boost performance. With organizations with inclusive cultures three times as likely to be high performing and eight times more likely to achieve better business outcomes, inclusion is certain to be a topic on leaders' radars for the foreseeable future. Sheila Walsh, a specialist on the subject of inclusion, joined the podcast to explain the responsibilities around creating that type of culture. Inclusion has to happen at every level from, you know, induction right through to performance reviews, KPIs, and every level has a responsibility to be inclusive. So that's a big undertaking for an organization. And I think one of the most common kind of challenges that come up is that we assign it to a department of some sort or a person, and we expect them to, to make us inclusive as an organization, whereas actually we need to have a shared responsibility for inclusion. To channel the benefits of inclusion, of course, we must harness the power of relationships within a business. Amid changes in the world of work, the nature of HR and OD activities have shifted. John Ingham, who held a People Strategy Network event at the IMI this year, spoke to the paradoxes that exist in the current business environment. As John explains, getting the balance right in terms of an organization's human and social capital and how these interactions are rewarded will be critical for the leaders of tomorrow. You know, I've mentioned human capital, the value that people provide to the business. Again, not the people itself, the value they provide. 
uh, and social capital is the value provided by the way people work together. So it's the, the value of their, of their connections and relationships and conversations, or the, the value provided by the way that people work in teams, communities and networks. And because work has become a lot more collaborative you know, before the pandemic, as well as during and after, um, social capital has become a lot more important, actually, than human capital. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a good example of that best fit type of approach. If we really think about best fit and we understand that social capital is actually the most important capability in organisations today, then it really means that we should be managing, measuring, developing and uh, rewarding teams and networks rather than simply people, which not that many organisations are. As much as we might plan ahead as leaders, even the best plans are often turned upside down due to forces outside of our control. The pandemic has been a stark reminder of the transitions that all leaders have to navigate in times of great change. During his masterclass this year with the IMI, Hal Gregerson, a senior lecturer in leadership and innovation at MIT Sloan's School of Management, presented a framework for successfully navigating the very transitions that we are all dealing with right now. Hal explained that leaders had to get comfortable being wrong, making the point that asking the right questions is often the answer. I just find it really useful to take a step back sometimes and think about our own relationship with questioning, especially fearless questions, over the course of our life, because it really influences how we respond and inquire and engage with the world here and now. The sense of optimism was palpable just a few short months ago that we would finally return to some semblance of normality. Our return to the office was close. It proved to be a false dawn for many in the end, but amid the disruption, a new type of team dynamic has emerged, a hybrid team culture, if you will. To shed some light on optimizing hybrid teams, leadership facilitator and executive coach Paula Milligan held a fascinating webinar at IMI this year on the rise of the hybrid team culture. She pointed to one leadership trait in particular to navigate the change ahead. So I think being agile at an individual team and organizational level is probably one of the most necessary qualities needed to deal with rapid and turbulent change. And I think change is going to be a real part of our normal uh, moving forward. Despite the acceleration in businesses digitally transforming over the past couple of years, Research into Irish organisations shows that 80% of them overestimate their digital readiness. A transformation anxiety of sorts appears to have set in. While over half of the organisations in the same research had digital transformation strategies in place, a quarter were uncertain what steps to take. With the apparent gaps that exist between planning of these strategies and their execution, leaders have a responsibility to get to grips with digital transformation, and specifically what the barriers are to its implementation. While digital transformation has gotten a lot of attention, Tony Moroni, an expert in the field, says the message of transformation is often lost in translation. Everyone's talking about digital transformation, but very few people have actually gone to the effort of defining what they mean by digital transformation. So the net result is you have a lot of ambiguity and misperceptions as to what digital transformation means. Now, absent definition, uh, human nature being what it is, we tend to focus on the word digital uh, and not so much on the word transformation. Whereas in reality, 
you know, this is all about transformation. It just so happens that we're using digital tools and technologies to enable and assist the transformation. So I would say is, look, you know, when people hear the word digital, it immediately takes them out of their comfort zone. They start thinking that this is about technology. Uh, they don't think it's about their business model and how to deal with customers. Uh, and that creates... Um, it creates anxiety in organizations because if you're not in your comfort zone, you're not going to engage fully on it. Uh, and you know, that leads to a further problem where you know, there can be unspoken differences in an organization, but people don't put up their hand because they're not quite sure they know what they're talking about. Discussions about the future of work have been difficult to avoid for leaders this year. While there's still much work to be done on how exactly organizations will manage the transformation, there's little doubt that leaders will have a key role to play in shaping the journey ahead. Earlier this year, Peter Cosgrove, a future of work expert, joined me, explaining that the employee-employer dynamic is one of the vital red threads to watch going forward. Well, I think there's an employer and employee side. So taking the employee side, most of them at the moment say, oh, I love working from home. It's great. And I'm much, much more productive. And I suppose I'd have to be honest and think, I don't think they are. I think what we are better at is being busy and we're working longer hours and we're doing more tasks. But if you think about it, um, you have a lot more as an employee, as a relationship with your employer than just doing tasks. You know, you're part of a culture. There's lots of things that can't be measured. So leadership, mentoring, on-the-job training, even laughing in the office you know which is something that we do together we don't do individually so employees need to realize if you want to work at home all the time that's essentially what a freelancer does but you are part of a collective so there is that challenge and secondly that whole idea of working and being busy which is a real thing we all seem to be talking about this hustle culture the reality is with the way technology is going we can't beat an algorithm they can do things a million times quicker than us so we've got to be very careful about what we're doing in terms of what's actually going to matter from the time of should we be doing more thinking and more ideating the flip side is if an employer is going to get people to come back to work they've got to be very careful about how they do it because there's no point telling people that we're going to have this 3-2 model or whatever the model is if you come into work three days a week but all your team members are still at home and you end up having zoom calls from the office to people at home so employers often have this idea that we you know when we all go back to the office we're going to suddenly be all innovative and coming up with these ideas but the reality is we're often drowned down in meetings and emails and people could be sitting in the office again doing the exact same job they're doing at home so companies need to really think about how they're actually going to build that interaction, that time together, because we have somewhat lost a network effect, because at the moment, we're kind of in this experimentation middle phase, we're only maybe 30% or 60% are in the office at any one time. So the two things employers need to think about are one, who needs to come back to the office and when, and even how collectives need to come together. But the second thing is, when do we need to be work synchronously and when can we work asynchronously? Because that's important as well. There's a lot of people who, whether they're at office or, or not, they, they want to be able to do deep work. They want to be able to work for four hours without having to go to a meeting or be interrupted. So I think there's a few challenges for both employee and employer. Bruce Daisley, an expert on the future of work, hosted two in-depth events at IMI this year to make sense of the challenges ahead for leaders and their organizations around the future of work. He argues that the firms of the future will turn their attention to intentional learning and focus. I think the, the best firms are the ones who are going to be really clear about that they're going to bake in some intentional learning, that they've changed something from the, the way they're operating. I think we could otherwise find ourselves very easily starting to, to edge towards being back in the office four days, five days again, rather than thinking specifically work consists of 
a series of different hats. It consists of a series of different modes. And probably the one that we've neglected the most in the last 12 months is the idea of deep work, of concentration, of good stuff coming from when we focus. We've, we've spent a lot of time in these energized video calls or pretending to be energized while doing emails and video calls. I think the, the thing that we've neglected is the stuff that's probably been pushed to late evening sitting at the kitchen table, which is powering through documents, writing things, thinking about things, and probably tackling those things when we're exhausted isn't the recipe for, for big innovative breakthroughs really. In many ways, 2021 has been a year of more questions than answers for leaders. Even amid that uncertainty, however, a certain clarity has emerged around building human-centric organizations, creating businesses that are resilient to change, and harnessing the advantages of transformation in all of its forms. Thank you for listening to this special year in review episode of the IMI Talking Leadership Podcast. We'll return in 2022 with more thought-provoking interviews with world-class thought leaders across a range of topics. Take care and see you next year.